Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Max Shannon, co-founder and president of Exeter University Business Week. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Ross. Mark is the current vice president of sales at Numerix, the leading provider of innovative capital markets, technology solutions, and real-time intelligence capabilities for trading and risk management. Mark started his career as a market risk analyst at Morgan Stanley, then became a client services quantitative analyst at State Street, then went back to Morgan Stanley as a strategist on the sales and trading securities lending desk. Further, Mark is the founder and CEO of Script Uni, which helps students get entry-level jobs into finance. And finally, Mark completed his Master of Science at Baruch College in Financial Engineering. Then a few years later, became an adjunct professor of software engineering for finance for six years. Thank you, Mark, for joining me today. Let me start off by asking you what numerics actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, numerics is just, it, it's, it's just incredible analytic software uh, used primarily by banks, hedge funds, asset managers, and insurance companies. Essentially, where you need a quant, you can just use numeric software and save a ton of money and get the job done a lot faster and a lot better. Um, pretty much pricing derivatives. So if if you're a typical you know equity long short shop, probably wouldn't have much value in it because there's not much valuation going on. But if you're trading swaps, swaption, exotic derivatives, Pricing those trades because there isn't an assigned value to them is really complicated. And having a team of quants to do it is, it takes a lot of time. You have to go through model validation. It costs a ton of money. Just installing numeric software. It used to be that the Excel version was very, very popular. It still is. But now there are, there are Python packages and, and you can use their Python implementation, the cloud version of the software. And it's just seamless to integrate it with with everything you have and uh, yeah, just pricing all derivatives, calculating the risk, it makes it absolute breeze. But you're also the CEO of Script Uni. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a bit of a story. So uh, when I was completing my financial engineering master's degree at Baruch College, which by the way, I took because the CEO of Numerics recommended I get that degree uh, about 11 years ago. So full, uh, full circle. Um, so as I was completing the financial engineering degree at Baruch, the dean asked me for any feedback on the program. And I said, it, it's an incredible program. The instructors are, are phenomenal. The content is great. The way you make sure all students are employed after the program is amazing. Uh, the one thing I would say is in finance, there are three skills that I see on nearly every job requirement. Um, and those are Python, VBA, and SQL, and none of them are taught in the master's program. And furthermore, they're not requirements to get into the master's program. So it seems a little odd. You're obviously trying to get people jobs in finance, but you're not teaching the three most important skills. Um, and his response was without skipping a beat. Okay, great. You teach it. So that's, that's as you can see, I taught for uh, <laughs> roughly six years at Baruch. I taught Python, VBA, SQL. And only after a year of teaching it, I realized you know, I know this stuff really well, and people seem to like the style I teach. I'm going to record myself. So I got a green screen, locked myself in my basement for, I would wake up at four o'clock, which ever since doing that became a habit. I'd wake up at 4 a.m. and for two hours every morning, record myself teaching these languages, compiled it. And the very first website was actually excelvbacourse.com. Um, and then eventually that turned into Script Uni. I pitched it to a bunch of colleges. Baruch's financial engineering program actually 
was the one that signed on with me. So they certify all the courses. The idea is this, this uh, website teaches Python, VBA, and SQL, not just as standalone programming languages, but with a ton of financial content baked into the courses. And you get certification from a financial engineering program. And you have a teacher's assistant helping you through each of the courses. And the goal is, whether on your resume or in an interview, you sound like someone who has work experience in those languages. Instead of just saying, I know Python, just putting a bullet for Python on your resume, you could say, I priced an asset-backed security. You know, I, I built an asset-backed security pricer, um, classes, Monte Carlo simulations, multi-threading. And you talk about all the implementation and building such a, an elaborate financial model. It's just an excellent conversation piece for an interview. And it looks really impressive on a resume. Going on from that, do you think a master in finance or similar uh, is needed for entry into IB consultancy uh, research? Well, here's the deal. Master's degrees are, no one should ever do a bachelor's and go straight into a master's just because. The way it works in finance is the bachelor's degree is essential to get your entry-level role in finance. There are a few like very few jobs in finance that require master's degree. Quantitative analysis is actually one of them where you need a financial engineering degree or a financial mathematics. There are very few people who make it in quant or strat roles without having that. But most positions in finance, investment banking, um, M&A, uh, equity research, sales and trading, risk management, all of these roles Quite simple to get straight out of your bachelor's program as long as you go along with the firm's you know, typical career path where you're doing a, your summer internship and then they hire you full-time as an analyst and that's it. And that your career, it's just going to happen. Um, I see too often people just going straight into a master's degree just because they didn't get a job right away, which strikes me as a very strange thing to do. Um, it's like if you, you missed the baseball because you swung instead of you know, instead of swinging again, you just try something completely different, like standing backwards. I, I, I mean, that's a terrible analogy, but people should not, just because they can't find a job, go for a master's degree. They need to understand exactly why they're going for that master's degree. Um, is it worth the debt? Well, it depends. If you're going to be a quant or a strat, typical starting salaries for these roles are six figures. So usually you're going, if you're not going to Ivy League school, you're going to pay 30,000 USD, 40,000 USD for a full master's degree. And immediately out of school, you'll be making 120, 130. Yeah, that's 100% worth it. Um, so generally, uh, university rankings, does that matter? It depends. So typically, as I mentioned, for master's degrees, you're going to be going for the more technical master degree roles, such as a financial engineering degree. If you have a lot of skills that you've picked up and, you know, hopefully throughout this conversation, we'll, we'll touch on this more, but if you have a lot of skills that are, that can be demonstrated both on your resume and interviews, then the prestige of the university really doesn't matter as much. But if it's something like trying to get an investment banking role where there aren't a ton of technical skills, it's more about relationships and prestige, then yeah, uh, you wouldn't want to get a master's degree from you know a no-name university and then try to get into a Morgan Stanley Goldman Sachs as an investment banker, that typically wouldn't work. But if you got your master's from you know Villanova, Harvard, Yale, that makes it much easier. Okay. 
in your view, how useful is a CFA in finance? And and do you need all three levels or could you just have one or two? So uh, I have a lot of opinions in CFA. Um, I would say, first of all, level one is just, it's incredible content. Um, I never told anyone that I took CFA level one because I never took the exam, but I read the entire book and it's excellent. It reminds me of uh, John Hall's uh, options and, and derivative pricing book. It's just, it's got a ton of useful financial terms and, and pricing information. It's just an excellent uh, level one's f- fantastic, I think, just as a general you know, study plan for people entering finance. In terms of the designation and getting the certification, CFA, a borderline useless for people looking for a job. And I think, again, the same problem with the master's degree, people who are struggling to find a job, go for CFA. You're, str- you're going to take you know, essentially three years of your life studying, 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 whether it costs a lot of money or not, you're throwing away almost a thousand hours worth of studying time alone just to get a job. And it's not going to help because if you have CFA level three, but you don't have work experience or, well, you need work experience to get CFA certification, but it's kind of strange. What gets people jobs is either a good degree or skills or experience. Chart holdership really never did that. Where I see CFA being used and being useful is if someone's an equity research analyst or something like that, and they want to be promoted to senior analyst, most senior analysts have CFA. So you get that chart holder and then it makes a lot more sense for you to be put in the big seat, maybe for a managing director or executive director role also, but just to get an entry-level role, it really doesn't make sense to me. Okay. And how much lateral movement is viable from one industry in finance to another? On paper, these movements uh, to move around to different roles in finance, whether you're doing it in the same firm or externally, on paper, it's impossible. And, and people use the term, you know, pigeonholing yourself. So I worked in, not only did I work in risk management, I worked in risk IT, which is considered the back office of the back office of investment banking. Impossible to get out of. Three years later, I was working in sales and trading at Morgan Stanley. So yeah. you can do it. And, and I'll never forget, I was standing on the railroad track, well, not on the railroad tracks, but I was waiting for a train and this director who was with me in the risk IT department, he saw me um, at the train station. He walked over and he said, hey, Mark, I heard you're in sales and trading now. And I said, yeah. And he said, how on earth did you do that? With like such just wonder in his eyes. And I felt a little rude with my response, but I think it was appropriate. I said, I sent someone an email. And what I was trying to impress on him is, why are you so in shock? You probably have never even tried. And most people don't try because those who try and don't just try like 20%, but those who commit themselves to it can do it. Um, but you have to know how to do it. You have to use a lot of your past experience. You have to sell it as sell your past experience, kind of reshape those skills. This is a whole, so a lot of, I mean, so I do, I do career coaching a lot. I would say 50% of my career coaching clients are students looking to get into roles? And the other 50% are actually people with five years experience around within an area in finance. And they're looking to move either into sales and trading or investment banking. And they come to me and they say, Mark, we've seen you done. You know, we've seen that this is something you have done. How do we do it? And one of the first steps I'll take is I'll look at all the skills that they've built up in their past five years. 
And we'll look at the job requirement that they're trying to apply to, and we'll rewrite those past experiences and skills as if they were being done for the new role. So when somebody in this new position looks at the resume, they don't see someone who has five years experience in something unrelated. They see someone who has five years experience using skills that are directly related to the current role. It might sound impossible. You think, you know, what connection is there from investment banking to sales and trading or from risk management to sales? There's, there's loads if you get a little creative and you really break down all the skills you have. Well, what are your best tips for lateral movement? I mean, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that I've done a lot of different roles at different firms. Only one time was it a recruiter reaching out to me. None of the other roles were done through applying online. The best way to get to another firm is to have a strong network. And you don't have to have tens of thousands of connections or followers to have a strong network. All you need is one person. I've I've given the presentation a lot and I, I say it over and over again because it means so much to me, but my entire career was built on one relationship I have. And that is with my father who never worked in finance in his life, but he worked in the IT department at a bank. And in that IT department in the 80s, somebody was trying to sell some financial software to him and they hit it off well. And they've been going out to dinner once, once a year since then. And my father said, oh, you want to work in finance? Let me introduce you to this one person I know in finance. And that person introduced me to somebody else. I got introduced to the dean at Baruch. It just, my whole career cascaded off of one relationship I have with my father who doesn't work in finance. Um, you want to move to another firm and get into a position uh, that's similar to what you're doing now? Just reach out to other people in other firms, have conversations. Do not attach a resume to those reach outs, whether they're LinkedIn messages or emails. Just get on Zoom, have a face-to-face, have some conversations, always end your conversations the same way. And that is, wow, this is really enlightening. Thank you so much. You know, you mentioned X, Y, and Z. Is there someone else at your firm who you think would be good for me to talk to about that? You have that person introduce you to someone else. It never dies. Every time I usually ask for two people. And that way, that one person turns into 100 after you know, a bunch of calls, uh, but the networking never stops. And when you have such a strong, big network, all within that same area, different firms, once a position opens up, people just think about you. Okay. But how well do recruitment firms work? Um, it's not so much about the firms. It's, it's, well, it depends. For investment banking, it really is. But for a lot of technical roles in finance, it's more about the specific recruiters the way the the one good thing that I would say recruiters or recruitment firms have going for them is that if they like you and they think you're appropriate for a job, you have a very high chance of getting an interview. And that's excellent because just applying to a role, you're one of five hundred. However, it's really I wouldn't say a shot in the dark, but unless a recruiter is reaching out to you, you reaching out to recruiters is usually I mean it, it really depends. It's it's difficult because there's a ton of recruiters all trying to place for the same roles. And I, w- I would say the biggest issue with recruiters is that you need work experience. And most people looking for roles in finance are typically pretty junior. So recruitment firms just don't work. Usually I find recruiters, the sweet spot for them is one to three years of work experience. When I was at Morgan Stanley working in risk, probably about two years into my career, I would get three to four calls a day from recruiters. Now, much, much less, despite having way more experience, because that's not the sweet spot. Hedge funds want to pull analysts out of banks one to two years in, offer them 
10, $20,000 more and, and that's it. They don't have to do all the training in and everything the banks have to deal with. It's just easier for them. Uh, so that's one of the worst things. Uh, I know it's a, it, I kind of dodged around the question a little, but that's, that's the biggest issue I have is that they really only work for one to three years experience, usually within a good firm. If you don't have that, it becomes tricky. Okay. Um, and you mentioned, you know, when you're on a call with someone or when you're interviewing someone, you should always ask for someone else at the end of the call. Um, do you have maybe two or three more tips uh, for interviews specifically? My, my favorite interview tip is within the first 60 seconds of the interview, you should have done three things. That is uh, shake the interviewer's hand very firmly. I, I, the way I, I say just firm enough that you don't break his or her bones um, and make eye contact and smile. Those three things all do the same thing. They demonstrate confidence. And that is so important because people focus way too much on technical skills or on their, on their past experiences. But ultimately, when people are hiring you, they just want to know that when they go on vacation, you'll handle the job and they won't have to babysit you and you could take over their job. And that only comes from someone who's confident enough to see a question respond. So demonstrating confidence right off the bat and friendly confidence with a smile, it goes, it, it goes so far. So that's, that's the most important interview tip I, I could ever give anyone. Um, two other tips I would say is, first of all, most people are pretty bad at interviewing. Now I would say I'm so good that even if I'm not qualified for a role, I'll always get a second or third round interview. Uh, but when I started out, I was absolutely awful. And I was just failing first round interviews nonstop until I kind of reevaluated what my strengths and weaknesses were. The way to get around failing in interviews is to do mock interviews with friends, with career coaches, whatever it is but do a lot of mock interviews and have them be very aggressive, not go easy on you. They should have your resume, ask you to walk through it, challenge you on every line in your resume, and they should take notes on, on what you're doing wrong. Um, one more thing I would say is your resume, just know it really, really well. One of the biggest issues I see on interviews when I do mock interviews with my clients is that we get to the skill section. And I see skills. Okay, so you know Java, C++, and Python. And I say, okay, great. Um, so in Python, what would be faster? Typically uh, a loop or a list comprehension, which is like the absolute basic Python question you can ask. And almost always, they have no idea. So why does it say Python on your resume? Now I know you're not trustworthy. I no longer trust a single line on your resume. People think, oh, I messed up on a Python question. That's all. No, that's not all. That one mess up told the interviewer that everything that you say is questionable. So know your resume perfectly. If you think Python is a either required or desirable skill for that role, but you don't know perfectly well, then you could put Python in. And then in parentheses, I would write something like, novice or beginner, just so that you're being very upfront that this is not something you know well, um, but that you're interested in learning it. Okay. And uh, what are your top three tips throughout the whole app application process? Okay. Well, um, I guess tip would number one would be, I don't like job applications. I'd rather network and get jobs through that. Um, but if, if you are going to be applying for roles, I would say, first of all, apply for who you are, not what you want. 
way too many people come to me and say, hey, Mark, um, I'd love to get some coaching. I'm interested in going to investment banking. Why are they interested in going to investment banking? Because they want to make a ton of money. Are they qualified? No. Do they have a good degree? No. Their GPA stinks. You think by hiring a career coach, all of that's going to go away. It won't go away. I'm happy to help somebody who has a few years work experience in one area transition into banking. I'm happy to help someone who's very put together and has uh, a high GPA from a pretty good school try to get into investment banking. But if you're just not qualified, it's not going to happen. So apply for the roles that you can actually get. It'll save you so much heartache and so much time. I, I see people just spamming applications all over the place in finance, and it's such, an, it's such nonsense. Figure out where your strengths are, what your skills are, and apply for those roles. Um, and on the same topic, you need to remember an application process. There's a lot going on. There are emails, there are forms you're filling out, but ultimately, your resume is your ticket. And if your resume doesn't look like the run, you know, like it doesn't look appropriate for the job you're applying for, then it's the ticket to the wrong concert. <laughs> you're just not going to get the role. I mean, you just touched on resumes, but what are your three top tips for one's resume? Yeah, I think ex exactly what I just said is, is the best tip, which is too many people look at resume like it's a document, a historical document of things you've done. And that's such a crime, I think, because why on earth would you want to you know, you're, you're trying to get from risk into sales and trading. So you apply to a sales and trading role and your resume says, risk, 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 risk. Who on earth sitting on a sales trading desk is going to like that resume? It's just, it's stupid. But everyone does this. Um, sell to the job you're going for. Don't sell your past self. Sell your future self. You know, if you've worked in risk, I bet you've been analyzing the risk on equities. So instead of talking about the risk, talk about the fact that you are analyzing equity portfolios, things very relevant to the job you're going for that you have done in the past, but try not to focus so much on the previous job titles. Um, the second tip along the same lines is make a skill-based resume. It's crazy. I still see people going for risk roles or sales and trading or investment banking roles that really are fundamentally based on certain technical skills. And then the whole resume is about um, confidence. I'm a great team player and this and that. You know, it's beautiful. They'll figure that out in the interview. Your resume should highlight what skills you bring, what technical skills you bring, how you've used them in the past, and how you're going to use them to do a good job. That's what people care about on the paper. They'll figure out who you are in person in the interview. Um, and, and one thing I would say is don't write too much. Like people, when they put bullets for job experience, they'll put like three lines or four lines for a single bullet, just run on sentences and going way too much into detail. You want to just put a few key words on each bullet, just enough to wet the palate of the interviewer or whoever's reading it. So they, oh, this sounds interesting. I'd love to have this person for an interview so we can ask them more about this. And then you get down to the interview and they say, it says here, you built a quarterly report for the COO. What was that report about? What does that mean you built it? Was it all yours? Did you own it? And you get to then spend five minutes on the interview talking about something that you know like the back of your hand. You know so well. I always try to leave on all the lines that we go through on resumes, I try to leave whoever's reading them interested in knowing more. Like this sounds really interesting, but where's the exciting, you know, where's the real meat? And then that comes on the actual interview. And it's, it's a question that you're begging the to be asked you're asked it, and then you're automatically going to know the answer for. Way better 
than having a resume that just says everything up front. And then the only thing the interviewer can ask you are riddles and brain teasers and those you'll get wrong. So why not get the questions that you know you're going to get right? How do you network for an internship or a job? Yeah, uh, the answer is don't network for an internship or a job. <laughs> network because you want to grow a network. If that's your mentality, you'll do better. Um, and also, I would say the, the biggest crime I see are people just spamming messages on LinkedIn to people saying, hey, can we grab a coffee? Can we have a conversation? And they get those conversations and they get all excited and they tell everyone, I got through to the managing director of whatever at City. And they get on the phone and they have no idea what they're going to say. And they say, hi, um, yeah, so I'm a student and I'm probably going to be looking for a job or whatever. And the MD like says some things and they say some things and the conversation's over and they lost such a good opportunity. So the way in terms of phone conversations, you should always have a paper. Um, this is one thing I like my clients always talk to me before they get on the phone with an important network, uh, networking call. And I always make sure that they have a paper in front of them that has two questions on top of it. And those two questions, the rule is they cannot hang up the phone until they get the answer to those questions. It might be, I need to know, uh, this is more of a statement, but I need to know what a day, in, a day in the life of a research analyst is. And you need to know that because first you need to know that before you go to the more senior people. My strategy is generally go to the more junior people, learn a lot about the actual tasks and you know, what you're actually doing day to day, and then network with the more senior people. And when they talk to you, you'll sound like you know the role so well that they'll think, okay, this person actually belongs in this, in this area of finance. And then they'll introduce you to people who are hiring. That's the way these, this can work. So you have to have a strategy and make sure that when you're on the phone, you ask the right question and you get those answers you're looking for. Okay. And uh, how can people differentiate themselves in this current job market? I don't like I don't like the terms job market. I don't like the terms uh, our companies hiring. The way I see it, um, when you have built a skill set that's relevant for a type of job you want, you'll be successful. And through the almost six years that I've been coaching, I've never seen a market where somebody who I worked with who had a very specific skill set on their resume and they were applying to roles that were appropriate for that weren't getting interviews. They always were. Um, the way you differentiate yourself is by actually being the right fit. Uh, we were hiring last year on my Morgan, uh, my Morgan Stanley and my sales and trading desk. We were hiring and we would get hundreds of resumes. And so many of them were just, like I said, a uh, history of what the individual was doing before. And that just wasn't intriguing. And every once in a while, we'd come across a resume that just looked like the role I was doing day to day. And I was like, okay, this person is the perfect fit for our role. And we just grabbed that resume out. Um, and often it wasn't about GPA or college name. It was about, does this look like somebody who's just going to sit on the desk and start working? Um, or are we going to have to train them into absolutely everything? So you want to stand out, be the right fit and look like the right fit for the role. Okay. And Mark, the last question I have for you is, um, you know, plug your LinkedIn and explain what you do on there. Because um, I've been following you for a while and that's how I got in contact with you. Yeah, um, I would say the LinkedIn is the core of it. It's how I, not exactly how I started everything, but it's really the heart of everything I do. And that is trying to help young professionals understand finance and understand how to succeed in their roles in finance. I do daily jargons where I go through different terminologies in finance. I post career advice a lot. 
and I host events. Uh, we, ha- we have one coming up where we're going to have um, one of the head uh, portfolio managers at a massive pension fund. We're going to have one of the former heads of risk at a major investment bank, a bunch of very senior experienced people talk about their careers and give advice. It's all about you know just free, uh, untainted career advice to help young professionals succeed in the career in finance. And there are other things. There's, there's my coaching, there's, there's script uni, but ultimately that all comes along with just trying to help young professionals in finance succeed. Uh, step one is, yeah, head over to LinkedIn, LinkedIn follow me and, and engage in my posts. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you. That's such a lovely note to end off on. 